Winning Formula podcast. Hello, everyone. You're very welcome back to the show. Thank you for joining us on Winning Formula. It's about a week since the Italian Grand Prix. And just thinking back now on how that race went, it was quite an exciting race. Obviously, there are the um, Hamilton Verstappen incidents that we need to discuss, but as well, Daniel Ricciardo and McLaren winning again. How great was that? So good to see them there winning. So great to see Ricardo smiling on the top of the podium. It's been a while. It's been a while. We've come close, of course. We've come close over the last couple of years, but not since he was in the Red Bull. So looking at the race starting grid, uh, we had actually, we had uh, Max Verstappen was on pole position. This, of course, was as a follow on from the sprint race on Saturday. Max Verstappen started in pole position. Hamilton couldn't make up any ground at all. He was really struggled during the sprint race. And as a result, Ricardo was starting in second and Norris in third. Hamilton now starting in fourth place. He could not get past Norris during the race. He really struggled, which was um, uh, it, it was very interesting um, because, of course, uh, as we saw later on in the full feature length race, uh, Valtteri Bottas seemed to be well able to overtake people. Now, Bottas did actually win the sprint race, but because of an engine penalty, he uh, ended up starting the race in last place. Then it was Leclerc in fifth, Sainz in sixth, Giovinazzi, what a fantastic qualifying for him. Seventh place, Perez was in eighth, Stroll was in ninth, and Alonso was in tenth place. So that was the top 10 starting off. Uh, where's Sebastian Vettel? I hear you asking. Well, he started in uh, in 11th place for the race. So that's where he was. Uh, the race started anyhow, and it was a fantastic start from Ricardo. He really got the jump on, uh, on Hamilton and Verstappen. Um, so it was Ricardo off into first place. Quite a comfortable gap, it seemed like he had. And then directly behind, we had Hamilton and Verstappen battling it out and they had Norris to keep them company so Norris was certainly causing a little bit of uh, of danger for those two guys and uh, it kept them on the race uh, not thinking about Ricardo so much but rather thinking about each other and of course about Norris who was trying to pick up the pieces if anything happened between them and and of course something did happen between them so there was the first coming together between hamilton and verstappen hamilton uh, was trying very hard to get past but uh, he just didn't have the room for verstappen and he got pushed over the chicane and he he took the shortcut the bumpy shortcut over the chicane whereas by comparison a little later on in the race there was a, a very different outcome when they came together again that pushed hamilton down into fourth place so he was behind uh, norris at this point i told you norris was there to pick up the pieces and it meant that verstappen was battling with daniel ricardo and it was it was an interesting battle between both of those pairs for a little while until we got to the first round of pit stops uh, so Verstappen and Ricardo. Verstappen really wasn't making too much ground on Ricardo. Ricardo, of course, driving in the McLaren, which has um, the uh, Mercedes engine, which would uh, be a preferred circuit. So this Monza circuit is definitely a preferred circuit for these really power-hungry Mercedes engines. And that's why this was anticipated that uh, Mercedes were going to walk away with this weekend. And of course, it didn't work out that way with Bottas's engine penalty. And then what happened a little bit later between Hamilton and uh, Verstappen. So we'll come to that. Uh, Norris and Hamilton was also an interesting battle. Hamilton did try very hard to get past Norris, 
but it just wasn't working out for him. Every time he got in that dirty air, it just really messed up his flow and he wasn't able to get the move done. Unfortunately for him, I know he got very frustrated about this and, um, you know, later on, uh, thankfully, the pit stop sorted that out for Hamilton. He was able to get a little bit of clean air when, uh, when Norris pitted. But uh, by comparison, as I mentioned, Bottas, who started at the back of the field, was making up ground very, very fast, and he had no problem whatsoever getting past the drivers. So this really wasn't difficult for him. Uh, so it was an amazing contrast. Now, I'm sure there was a slightly different setup on the cars as well, and they're completely different racing drivers as well. They are. Um, Bottas uh, sometimes struggles to make his way through the field, and sometimes he's just on it. And he was absolutely on it at the uh, at the Italian Grand Prix last weekend. So there you go. Next, let's get to the pit stops. Uh, this was set up for a one-stop race for the majority of the field, actually. So there wasn't going to be too much excitement around pit stops like we had in the Dutch Grand Prix. So we're pretty certain what the strategy was going to be here. And it was Ricardo who pitted first. Verstappen then pitted next, but Verstappen had a horrific stop and it lasted 11 seconds. So he lost a lot of ground about this uh, uh, and he was pushed. Essentially, when things would work themselves out after the pit strategy, he would find himself a little bit down the field. Hamilton, um, Hamilton actually found himself then in the lead of the race for a while. And so he had a bit of clean air. However, Hamilton also had a slow stop. Now, it wasn't the 11 seconds that Verstappen's stop was. But when Hamilton came back out onto the circuit, he had Verstappen coming down the straight directly behind him. And this leads us on to the first corner collision that they had. And this was their second coming together of the race. Verstappen tried his best to get up alongside Hamilton uh, into that first corner. And, um, uh, you know, looking at it at that moment in time, I really thought it was a racing incident because I, I couldn't I couldn't necessarily apportion blame apart from saying, well, Verstappen could have gotten out of that if he really wanted to, you know, by going over the chicane in a similar fashion to what Hamilton did earlier on in the race. Verstappen, though, is not that type of character. Verstappen is in it for the challenge. You know, he, he stays strong in the challenge and uh, he follows through, which possibly isn't the best uh, best way to go in Formula One because, of course, the cars are so fragile, especially at those types of speeds. But, you know, all the carbon fiber as well, it's not, uh, it's not a strong material when it comes in contact with something at that speed. So there was a collision between the pair of them and um, Verstappen got pushed a little bit up onto the curb. Uh, he went onto the green, and then as soon as he hit the sausage curb, the back of his car kind of jumped a little bit, so he lost traction. He had no control at that moment in time. His car came out a little bit, touched the back tire of Hamilton's car, and the resulting momentum propelled his car up on top of Hamilton's car, both of them going off the track, going off the track into the uh, into the gravel trap. Um, now, it looked like uh, that was that for both of them, that they were out of the race. Hamilton was attempting, actually, to get back into the race. Um, he, he was kind of stuck in the, the gravel with Verstappen's car on top of his, but he was attempting to reverse out of the gravel. He didn't realize that, actually, as Verstappen jumped up over the top of his car, his back tire did take out uh, Hamilton's rear wing, so it would have been no good. It would have been futile for Hamilton to make it back onto the track, but he didn't know this. Of course, he had to try. The other thing that uh, we see these amazing close-up shots of it afterwards, and, and even the thumbnail for this video uh, talking about the, the uh, YouTube version of this uh, podcast video, um, you can see that amazing image 
where the tire from Verstappen's car came down on Lewis Hamilton's head and if it wasn't for the halo I don't know what would have happened such such a simple coming together as well it's it's amazing to think that if we didn't have the halo that there could have been very serious injuries from such a simple coming together and if you look at it in that context you really do have to apportion blame to one driver being a little bit too stubborn to get out of the challenge now i'm not, by no means a big hamilton fan i'm also not a big uh, verstappen fan so i would like to think i'm somewhat neutral in this situation uh, and i'm not you know not immediately jumping the bandwagon and saying that oh this driver is to blame for that but um as I said, I found it very difficult to figure out who was in the blame at the time. The FIA, though, thankfully did figure out who they felt was to blame for this. Um, but as I said, such a simple little incident by Verstappen not uh, going across the chicane and instead sticking in with it, you know, staying close to Hamilton, uh, there could have been very serious uh, accident or very serious injuries because of that. And thankfully, that wasn't the case. Um, the FIA did review that later on. Uh, and their feedback was, uh, and this is the quoted text I have here in front of me, the stewards determined that Hamilton's position was reasonable and therefore find that the driver of car 33, which of course was Verstappen, was predominantly to blame for the incidents. So they judged that uh, Verstappen wasn't up alongside Hamilton, you know, and it, really he was never ahead of Hamilton in the chicane or in that corner. Uh, so Hamilton had... Uh, he had the right to take the line in the corner is how they're looking at that now hamilton didn't take the corner quite as tight as he could have um the, the first part the entry part but um i think you know he, he knew exactly what verstappen was up to and he had to make sure that verstappen didn't try anything in the end of course verstappen did try something so verstappen to blame according to the fia and he gets a three place grid penalty uh, now, whether or not that's the correct penalty, I don't know. If you're to apportion blame in something like that, is a three-place grid penalty really enough? Uh, it's it's a tough one. It's the Russian Grand Prix next. It's typically a circuit that suits the Mercedes. In particular, Valtteri Bottas really likes the Russian Grand Prix. He's won there a couple of times. So, worst case scenario, Verstappen is starting in third place after qualifying if both of the Mercs get ahead of him. that That's what I would be thinking that will push him down a further three positions uh pushes him to sixth place so yeah it's probably probably rules him out of contention for that race if hamilton and bottas get a good start and of course if bottas is ahead of hamilton and bottas has a good race he'll be asked to hand it over to uh to hamilton so i wouldn't worry about that too much for from a hamilton perspective so maybe in a sense this three place grid penalty actually works very well for mercedes I've heard a lot of people over the last week say that three-place grid penalty, oh, it's nothing, and Verstappen will get that back very easily, and it's 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 even less than a 10-second penalty like Hamilton got in the British Grand Prix. Yeah, I'm, I'm not convinced. I'm not convinced. Um, the Russian Grand Prix isn't exactly the most open circuit for overtaking either, so I, I'm not convinced. It'll come down to qualifying. If Verstappen is able to qualify in pole position, then it shouldn't hurt him as much and he potentially has an opportunity to get back some of those positions on the start, um, especially if he starts in third place, as opposed to starting in sixth place, where he'll be down the field in the battle. And as we've mentioned, it's not Verstappen's style to get out of a battle or to, to take uh, to take the route of less danger. So he could very well find himself um, having a collision with somebody further down. Um, maybe even Pierre Gasly, can you imagine? Ooh. 
the politics that would go with that one. Um, as a result of the collision between Verstappen and Hamilton, there was a safety car period. Uh, once the race got back up and running, there was a fantastic battle between Norris and Charlotte Leclerc. Charlotte Leclerc was actually in second place. Norris realized that his teammate, of course, was winning the race, and he saw an opportunity for himself to get the race win. And uh, he made very quick work of getting by Charlotte Leclerc. He did look like a guy who was on a mission, and obviously, uh, Norris is the guy who had been doing everything really well for McLaren all season and sitting in fourth place in the championship. And you know, he he has been very much the impressive driver in the McLaren by comparison to Ricardo. Ricardo, of course, new this season to McLaren setup, so it takes a little bit of time to get used to that as well. And then he was faced with this situation, he being Norris, that um, his teammate Ricardo could get their first win in several years for McLaren. So he was not having that. Um, he got past Leclerc, as I said, and then, you know, he put some pressure on Ricardo. Then he was on the team radio asking for Ricardo to speed up because he's got more speed than him. The, the usual you hear in these types of situations between teammates. And um, Norris was told very firmly, you're not overtaking your teammate. I don't think they use that exact terminology, but, you know, they use some kind of team speak for whole position. Stay where you are. Don't do anything stupid. Um, actually, at that moment in time, I, I did wonder if that was the correct call, because if Norris did have more pace and, um, you know, Bottas by... I would say Bottas was the guy who looked like he had a lot of pace and could really make his way back through the field and be a challenge for the McLarens at the end of the race. Um, but um, no, McLaren made their decision and it turned out to be the right decision and Ricardo really did have a lot of pace towards the end of the race. And as it transpired in the end then, um, uh, Ricardo, as I said, did have a lot of pace. It was Bottas who finished in third place, actually behind both of the McLarens. But he finished uh, just under five seconds um, behind uh, behind Ricardo, so that would put him about three seconds behind Norris. So he never really did come into the mix for the win, uh, thankfully uh, for McLaren. That is uh, not great for Bottas. He obviously had a great opportunity there, but he did start in last place. So to finish in third place was an awesome result for Bottas. Let's let's not get ahead of ourselves here. That was an awesome result and uh, to be expected to win from last place would have been a very tall last. So it's a great race from McLaren, managed very, very well at the front by both of the drivers. Ricardo was supreme. He really was supreme for the entire weekend. It was very good, very composed, very calm. Of course, he's been there before. He's won races before with Red Bull. He knows what it takes to win a race and no issues with the cars. This was the part I was most worried about. Thinking back to the 90s and the early noughties, this was always what happened. You know, you were really worried when a, when a driver got in the front of the race because there could have been some kind of issue with the car just before the end of the race. This didn't happen. Thank goodness. Let's not forget Damon Hill in the Arrows back in 97 in uh, the Hungarian Grand Prix, I think it was where he almost, almost won the race before he had an issue with the car at the very end and just got overtaken. Uh, he did manage to come in second place, which was some consolation, but of course, the records are all about the race wins, and so it doesn't stand out as much as it should, I suppose, and that's... Uh, that's it. Most likely, it won't be that long until McLaren win a race again, in particular, if they have a strong car for 2022. Uh, but you'd never know. 
you never know in Formula One when uh, when a race is a last race win for a team or a driver or anything like that. So I, I was absolutely thrilled to see Ricardo win the race and I was thrilled to see Norris in second place. And if it was the other way around, I would have been a little bit disappointed for Ricardo, but I would have been absolutely thrilled for Norris as well. And Norris's first race win is, I feel like it's just around the corner as well. He's been knocking on the door for a while. So uh, he has that ahead, hopefully very, very soon. Um, and what was intriguing for me, and uh, just before we finish off and look at the final classification, what was intriguing for me was the fact that Bottas had the fastest lap for the majority of the race. And then on the very final lap, Ricardo set the fastest lap. So he knows which side his bread is buttered on. Not only was he not content with uh, winning the race, he said, let's go for the fastest lap as well. And the McLaren was able to deliver the fastest lap. You know, their tires were just as worn as anybody else's. In fact, it was Ricardo who pitted first ahead of uh, ahead of some of the other cars and he was able to pull off the fastest lap. So supreme, supreme, a really good performance from Daniel Ricardo. Let's have a look then at the rest of uh, the finishing order or the rest of the field and see who was where. So it was Ricardo in first place, Norris in second place. Uh, we had Bottas in third place. Leclerc was in fourth place, a good result for him. Perez was in fifth place. Not so good from Perez. Like fifth place is okay, but uh, you're really expecting him to be in the mix. Perez has been very much off the boil since he signed his new contract. He did not have a strong race weekend um, uh, at any of the previous races, really. You know, he struggled somewhat at the Dutch Grand Prix. He, of course, had that um, uh, crash on his way to the grid for the uh, Belgian Grand Prix and then only managing fifth place here uh, at this race. And in fact, Perez started in eighth place, so he only made up three places um, within the race. Um, and when you consider that uh, Giovinazzi had an accident, Hamilton and Verstappen went out of the race, there's his three positions. So he just wasn't able to, to battle the other drivers. Um, also, Sainz finished behind him. Sainz was in sixth place. Uh, Sainz uh, did did somewhat struggle during that race as well. Stroll, good strong result for Stroll in seventh place. Good for him. Uh, going, as usual, under the radar somewhat. Uh, Lance Stroll never has a very exciting race. Um, but solid points in seventh place. And he gets in the points. His teammate did not get in the points. Alonso also doing something similar here uh, going under the radar somewhat finishes in eighth place and he gets uh, some points for that as well Ocon uh, sorry Russell was in ninth place uh, another points finish for Williams um, and then we had Ocon in 10th in place so a double points finish for the Alpines uh, absolutely nothing to be sniffed at there you know great result for them the TV so unfortunate was in 11th place Vettel finished in 12th place Giovanazzi finished in 13th, Kubica finished in 14th, and Schumacher finished in 15th. And then Mazepin, Hamilton, Verstappen, Gasly, and Sonoda were all out of the race. Sonoda and Gasly uh, going out quite early in the race with uh, various car issues. And of course, Hamilton and Verstappen took each other out. And Mazepin, I'm trying to remember what happened to Mazepin, actually. I think he had uh, he had car issues as well and had to go out of the race as a result. And I, I do see he was classified with three pit stops, so probably in and out um, due to, the, to whatever issues he was having. Um, maybe he had damage. I 
don't know why I can't remember that. Uh, sometimes what happens during these races is, well, we don't really see all the action between Schumacher and Mazepin and Kubica and Giovinazzi at the back. Giovinazzi, of course, did start in seventh place, and uh, I need to give him a shout out for another very strong qualifying performance and, of course, a very strong performance during the sprint race. He did not finish well, though, at the very start of the race. He actually got up on one of the curbs and kind of spun the front of his car, hitting uh, the barrier, taking off his front wing. He was able to keep the car going. He got back to the pits. He got his front ring wing replaced. There was no need for a safety car either to um, uh, impact the rest of the drivers. But, you know, it was, uh, it was a challenging race from him from there on out. And uh, that was it. So, as we said, the winner was Daniel Ricciardo. Yeah, thumbs up. Very, very happy about that. And the driver of the day, unsurprisingly, as well, voted uh, on the Formula One website or the Formula One social media was uh, Daniel Ricciardo. And can't argue with that. Um, was Bottas in contention for driver of the day? Yeah, sure. He probably was. He probably was. Um, but no, it was all Ricardo. Right, so let's get on to the championship standings following that race. And actually, if you look at the top 10 and the driver's standings, not much has changed at all. Of course, for Sapin and Hamilton, picked up no points at all. Bottas was the big winner uh, in the top three, and he's now up to 141 points, but that still puts him just over 80 points, so 80.5 points behind his teammate. So he's really not in the mix here. Just for reference, by the way, Verstappen and Hamilton, Verstappen is still on the top and he's five points ahead of Lewis Hamilton. So there's very, very little in that. Norris is in fourth place. Perez is in fifth place. Leclerc is in sixth. Sainz is in seventh. And then the only movement we have in the top 10 following the Italian Grand Prix is Daniel Ricciardo moves up into 8th place on 83 points and Pierre Gasly now drops down to 9th place uh, from, from a previous 8th place on 66 points. He didn't get any points during that race and so he's now 17 points behind Ricciardo so that's a good gain for Ricciardo. Ricciardo on 83 points, Norris on 132 points so still some way behind his teammate still as well. And then in 10th place we have Fernando Alonso on 50 points if we move over then to the constructor standings once again not too much movement but there is one significant move uh, within the top 10 and that is mclaren leapfrogging ferrari into third place on the championship so ferrari dropped down into fourth place starting at the top mercedes have 362.5 points red bull have 344.5 points 18 points behind mercedes and this is why i keep pointing the finger at sergio perez he needs to do better because verstappen is certainly getting the points as is Hamilton for Mercedes, but Bottas is doing a bit better on the uh, on the points table. Coming back very quickly to the Drivers' Championship, Perez is all the way down in fifth place. He has Norris between himself and Bottas, whereas Bottas is in third place. So that makes all the difference having a stronger number two driver. Next year, Mercedes will have George Russell, so uh, that bodes very well for their uh, Constructors' Championship at least. Uh, I don't know what it means for the Drivers' Championship. Uh, we'll wait to see how that turns out. Of course, the new regulations come into play as well. McLaren then are in third place on 215 points. Ferrari are in fourth place now on 201.5 points. So that puts them 13.5 points behind McLaren. A very tight battle for third place. Then we have a large gap all the way back to Alpine, who are in fifth place. They are on 95 points, which is 106.5 points behind Ferrari. Alfa Tori in sixth place. Aston Martin in seventh place. 
Williams are well and truly in 8th place. They are ahead of Alfa Romeo in 9th place. Alfa Romeo have only 3 points, Williams have 22 points, so there is a 19 point gap between them. And in 10th place we have Haas. Haas have, uh, have 0 points so far this season and don't look likely to score points actually the car is uh, is well off the pace which is very unfortunate for Mick Schumacher uh, we'd like to see him score a few points in that car it doesn't look like that will happen and uh, Mazepin of course yeah maybe uh, Mazepin of course getting all of the slagging during the week because he is now sitting in 21st place in a 20 driver championship courtesy of Robert Kubica uh, replacing Kimi Raikkonen and placing in 20th place ahead of Nikita Mazepin in the championship so ooh, that's a tough one for him to take but things can change things can change all right let's turn our attentions back to the sprint race and just very quickly to summarize what happened in the sprint race bit of a disaster for Hamilton he was really struggling to get by anybody during the sprint race and he ended up uh, in fourth place which uh, or sorry he actually ended up in fifth place which translated to fourth place in the race the next day because of Valtteri Bottas's penalty I would say the jury is still out on the sprint race and how it works as a format I, I very much enjoyed uh, qualifying on a Friday night well actually it was a bit earlier on the Friday I think it was uh, Friday afternoon on this occasion um, generally on a Friday if you're going to hold the qualifying at that time uh, I am going to miss it because of uh, work commitments uh, and I think that would be very true for a lot of people the first sprint race we had of course back at the British Grand Prix the Friday evening qualifying around 7 p.m. or 8 p.m. Uh, did work very well but I guess you know we're losing light in the evenings as well we're not right in the heart of the summer anymore so that needs to be a factor for the sprint race um, the sprint race itself, as I said, the jury is still out. Um, there was uh, a, it was a very good race if you're a McLaren uh, supporter, and actually, little did they realize better was to come in the actual feature race the next day. Perez, as well, I felt he could have done better. He was also struggling during the sprint race. He could not get past Giovinazzi, and uh, yeah, he, he ended up starting behind Giovinazzi, so he was starting in eighth place because of the sprint race. So that was uh, that was very disappointing from Perez. Overall, though, despite uh, not too much happening during the sprint race, I was fascinated by the battle between Norris and Hamilton. Did enjoy that, and. Um, of course, seeing if Verstappen could get close to Bottas, enjoy that to an extent. Maybe it's just one of those circuits where I just enjoy whatever is happening, no matter what's happening. It could be, um, uh, you know, mildly satisfying in a kind of hypnotic way to watch the cars going around on that beautiful Monza circuit. But I enjoyed all the racing that happened at the Monza race weekend, including the Formula 2. So I really enjoyed the sprint race as well. Uh, but, but I still feel like as a format, the jury is out on the sprint race. My initial thoughts from the sprint race were that... Um, it actually helps drivers so sometimes it happens as we've seen very often in the normal qualifying where you've q1 q2 q3 somebody will go out early in that and a sprint race potentially helps those drivers who have faster cars to get back into a better position for the feature race itself that was one thought i did have um it didn't really come to being for the uh for the sprint race and giovanazzi for example if you look at him you would have expected him to drop way down following his fantastic qualifying performance on friday that didn't really happen 
Um, so yeah, the, the jury is still out on the sprint race or the value of the sprint race. And maybe, maybe we really do need to start thinking about reverse grids or something like that based on the sprint race, just to add that extra layer of excitement to the whole thing. And then um, apportion a few more points to the sprint race. I also feel somewhat disappointed when it's only three points given to the winner of the sprint race. It doesn't uh, feel right for me. So the sprint race anyway to top out the top 10, Bottas won. First happen was in second, Ricardo third, Norris fourth, Hamilton fifth, Leclerc sixth, Sainz seventh, Giovinazzi eighth. Well done, Giovinazzi. Great result. Uh, Perez in ninth and Stroll in tenth. Of course, Bottas took the engine penalty, then went to the back of the grid, and everybody got promoted by one position ahead of the start of the feature race. And that was it. So, yeah. Still don't know exactly what to think about the sprint race. We do have one more sprint race coming up this season as well. So we will get an opportunity to make up our minds about that. All right, next up, let's have a look at the driver lineup for next year. And um, this is something that was very interesting as we headed into the Belgian Grand Prix weekend because there were still a lot of unknowns as to who will be driving for each team next season. But the majority has now actually been confirmed already for next season. So starting firstly with uh, Mercedes, and this is this is the big topic, you know, was George Russell or was Bottas going to be in that number two seat along with Hamilton next year? And I guess I shouldn't technically call it the number two seat, but I, I feel like definitely in the case of Bottas, it was well established that this was the number two seat to Hamilton. And Hamilton is, uh, is you know, he, he's a superstar of Formula One, so I guess he'll always be considered a number one driver, no matter where he goes. Hamilton will be driving with George Russell next season. It has been all signed, sealed and delivered. And that was ahead of the Dutch Grand Prix. We had confirmation of that. Looking then at Red Bull, ahead of the Belgian Grand Prix, it was confirmed that Perez would be driving next season for Red Bull as well. So he would be teammates with Max Verstappen. We have confirmation as well from McLaren that it will be Norris and Ricardo next year. Very strong pairing once again. For Alpine, also confirmed, Ocon and Alonso will be driving for them in 2022. Um, Alpha Tori have confirmed Pierre Gasly and Yuki Tsunoda for 2022. So Pierre Gasly stays with Alpha Tori and doesn't get the move up to Red Bull. Although I would suggest that if Perez keeps on his current uh, run of form, Gasly may actually get an opportunity to come back to Red Bull. It's never a given with Red Bull that uh, you're, you have an established seat for a season, as we know very, very well. Next, uh, looking at Ferrari, we have Leclerc and Sainz confirmed. And then, uh, recently confirmed this week, Aston Martin have announced that Sebastian Vettel and Lance Stroll will be driving for them next year. No surprise there for Stroll. There was a little bit of a question mark hanging over Vettel in recent times uh, with rumours that he was going to retire or going to be replaced. I don't think that's that's the case. Um, he seems to be enjoying his driving at the moment. And he does have those one and a half second place finishes this season of course he finished second at the hungarian grand prix but was subsequently disqualified uh, for not having enough of a usable fuel sample in his car not really his fault but uh, that's the way it goes and he was disqualified we have in alfa romeo of course kimi raikkonen has announced his retirement and it's confirmed now that valtteri bottas will take his seat next season it hasn't been confirmed yet who the number two driver, well, not the number two, the second driver will be for Alfa Romeo. We don't know, will it be uh, Giovinazzi? Certainly he's trying very hard at the moment. You can see his fantastic qualifying results over the last two race weekends. 
he did have that very unfortunate crash though at the end of the Italian Grand Prix which uh, definitely won't help this entire scenario so who's that driver going to be also um, I guess there's a possibility uh, with the Ferrari tie-in that uh, Schumacher could make his way into that seat uh, in particular if the uh, relationship between Mazepin and Schumacher continues to to deteriorate in the way it uh, it has been over recent weeks as well that would be interesting the other option is potentially Callum Eilat uh, we know Nick DeVries is also looking for a seat it was hotly rumored that he was going to get a Williams seat for a while that actually is not the case so we wait to see who will be the next Alfa Romeo driver for next season maybe it will remain as Giovinazzi and uh, that would be good to have a little bit of consistency going into the new regulations but of course Bottas has a wealth of experience as well driving in Formula 1 and then um, for the Haas team we think it's going to be Mazepin and Schumacher but that hasn't been confirmed yet obviously with the sponsorship deal that's in place with Nikita Mazepin's father we suspect that Mazepin is pretty much nailed on for next season uh, but what will happen with Schumacher still remains to be seen I, I don't think Schumacher is going to leave the sport as I said I think he would probably stay with Haas there is that ever so slight chance that he will move to Alfa Romeo and then in Williams it has been recently confirmed as well that their driver lineup for next season will be Alex Albon and his teammate will be Nicolas Latifi who remains with the team Alex Albon a bit of a strange one for me because of course he does have the links with Red Bull uh, and he's potentially now driving with a team that has Mercedes power and uh, you know conflict of interest and insight and everything else there uh, it seems like there's a very tight contract in place as well for Albon that he will only learn certain things about the car and he won't be privy to certain information about Mercedes because of course Red Bull have retained the right to sign Alex Albon in the 2023 season so it may not be Pierre Gasly replacing Perez in Red Bull in 2023 it could in fact be Alex Albon if he has a good season with Williams uh, so that's another interesting factor that comes into play here so that's how we stand at the moment so realistically we just need confirmation on the Haas pairing and who will be the uh, second driver at Alfa Romeo that's where we're at. We almost have a very clear picture of what the grid will look like next season. Of course, we don't have a clear picture on the hierarchy because it's new regulations and everything could change. Maybe Williams will be the best car next season. I, I, probably not um, because I still think that uh, team budget will play a significant role in the amount teams have invested into the new regulations before that, uh, before that cap, that budget cap comes into play. But that's where we stand anyhow let me know in the comments what you think um, of these driver pairings who do you think will reign supreme next year and um, of course of course uh, who is going to be Bottas's teammate next year the big question right now that we all want to know about so that appears to be everything for now uh, thank you very much once again for tuning in and listening or watching along this week for the show we really appreciate your support if you're on youtube hit the like button hit the subscribe button hit the bell as well if you want to be notified uh, if you're listening via a podcast whichever platform you're on um, subscribe to the channel or uh, follow the channel or whatever the correct terminology is as i said we really appreciate your support and uh, looking forward to being back soon speak to you then so